Support for SyncBook Radio comes from listeners like you. Consider helping to make independent productions like SyncBook Radio possible by becoming a donor. Your generous gift helps to keep these unique voices broadcasting and exploring. Details about how you can help can be found at thesyncbook.com slash donate. Thanks. When I turn on the radio, it all sounds the same. What have these people done to music? They just don't care anymore. Hello and good evening. I'm Douglas Bowles, and you're listening to 42 Minutes, a production of SyncBook Radio and thesyncbook.com, a weekly conversation with the interesting artists and thinkers of our day. You can find us online at 42minutes.com, and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at Sync42 and at SyncBook. Today is Monday, June 2nd, and this is episode number 139. Will is away tonight preparing to meet the chairman of the World Speed Project for tomorrow night's bonus episode. Yet tonight, it's my distinct pleasure to find out how an untamed beast is not an animal. And I'll do so with an advocate of an authentic embodied experience. Sally Ford plays rock and roll and sings like a cross between Ella Fitzgerald and Tom Waits. Miss Ford has established herself as one of the most powerful voices in indie rock. In 2011, Sally Ford and The Sound Outside made their national television debut on Letterman and were one of the most talked about new performers at Bonnaroo, the Newport Folk Festival, and Bumbershoot. And they were championed by the likes of Jack White and the Avett Brothers. This past spring, she played Treefort Music Fest with an all-new band and all-new material. Hi, Sally. How are you doing? Oh, good. Thanks for having me. You bet. Thanks. Thanks for doing this. So... Is it summer in Portland? Oh, pretty much. You know, uh, there's still maybe like some rain, hail. We call it uh, January sometimes. <laughs> January. <laughs> uh, but I think it, I think it will be nice. Uh, you know, actually, I haven't been in Portland for like the last three summers probably. That's just a guess because um, I've been doing a ton of touring the last few years and Finally, I have the whole summer off, actually, because um, I'm waiting to put out my record, and we're going to wait to go on tour. We're doing a little tour before then, but I got lots of time off. So. And so, if if I can tell correctly, you're playing June 6th in Chicago, is that right? Yeah, we're going to fly there, play, and yeah, fly home. And then July 17th in Kansas City? Yeah, uh, well, we have a... A Portland show on the 12th at the zoo with the Carolina Chocolate Drops, and then we have a show at a festival in Seattle, and then um, we fly to Nashville, Tennessee, and we do a tour with the Stand Man or Astro Man. Yeah. And uh, that's going to be about a week's worth of shows, maybe 10 shows, I think. Roughly, and um, yeah, just driving across the country and then ending in L.A., and then we'll head home after that. Okay, but so let's just put everything in perspective here. So in 2006, you moved from Asheville to Portland. Uh-huh. In 2007, you, you met up with The Sound Outside. Yeah. Yeah, I first started doing some, like, open mics 
because um, when I first moved to Portland, I was sort of dabbling in music because I'd done music as a kid. And when I moved to Portland, I started doing some open mics and started playing some solo shows. But I wanted to do something that was group oriented. Did you move to Portland with the idea of being a musician or you just wanted to be in that Portland vibe? I just wanted to do some sort of art of some sort. I mean, um, I was into photography and I liked sort of arts that didn't require performing because my family's big into performing. So I kind of didn't felt uncomfortable with that sometimes. But hmm. Okay, so then in 2009, you guys released an EP called Not an Animal. And then mm-hmm. in 2011, you have your, your first LP, Dirty Radio. And you were also on Letterman. What was what was that like? Oh, it was cool. Yeah, I mean, uh, we were lucky because there was a cancellation, and I mean, I think we hired a publicist, and we're crossing our fingers that something like that would happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, those kind of things. It's like you got on a waiting list, and all the big acts that they want are going to go on there, and then you just kind of if there's a cancellation or just out of luck you might get on there so <laughs> we were pretty lucky to get on there i think like blink 182 canceled and huh. we were told like the day before like can you get there we said of course <laughs> and then paul schaefer <laughs> even played with you guys i i think i saw is that right yeah yeah and, yeah and... it was uh it's cor- kind of a long story but basically like someone was joking around about us playing with him or having him play with us and then um i think our publicist overheard and thought we were serious and went up to him and asked and he was down and he was a really nice guy so and then how much rehearsal did you have to do for that oh i think like barely any (laughs) we just showed up for the sound check and he learned the song we wrote down the chord for him and you know he's a pro he he could figure it out pretty quickly yeah and then, okay, so the the band, um, you you guys get a, a buzz about you, and then in 2012 you release Untamed Beast, and you get a lot of buzz after that too. And so you were you guys pretty much on tour for nonstop for like three years. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, there'd be sometimes we'd come back for a couple weeks, and then go out for a week and come back. Um, and then maybe go for like six weeks at most. But it did feel pretty constant. I mean, I know there are bands that tour more than we did, which is hard to even imagine because it takes a lot to do it. It's a lot of energy. And I mean, it is worth it, of course, but it can it just isn't what it's made out to be. People have this really romantic idea of what touring is. And then our friends sometimes in the past have come on tour and they're like, oh, damn, like, this is not what I thought it was. This is actually really hard work and it's really tiring. So, Yeah, I, I've heard it described as like, so you drive all day, you get there. Most of the time, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You get there and you unload and then you have a second to breathe and then you have to perform and then you get drunk and go to bed, <laughs> get up and do it all again. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's just like, a lot more waiting around than you'd expect. And um, 
sometimes you have to wake up early in order to get to the place on time. And also there's a lot of radio stuff that you should do. And hopefully if you have a good record label, they're going to get you radio performances before your shows. So on top of that, not only, yeah, you have your load in the evening, you got to get there by, you know, in the afternoon time to play on the radio to promote the show and then you're head to the venue. It's pretty crazy. (laughs) So with Dirty Radio, it has kind of a rockabilly pop feel. I mean, it's definitely rock rock music, but it has kind of, if I were to say the flavor, it has kind of a, it's really dancey. It's funny, uh, my 10-month-old baby loves it. Oh, thanks. Cool. <laughs> but Untamed Beast definitely has a, a more raw edge to it. Um, what... What what was that? What 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 was going on between Dirty Radio and Untamed Beast that you asserted yourself so so much on that that second album? I mean, I think it's always been an exploring process. Um, and the first record, I actually was more influenced by blues and jazz music, and um, just kind of w- wanted to call it rock and roll. Uh, for me, that's what I feel more comfortable calling it. I personally think rockabilly sort of like the term that white people used in the 50s to feel like their music was different than, you know, the music that, you know, Chuck Berry was making or something. So I kind of am not huge into that. It's it's the uh, stand-up bass and just the slight surfiness of some of the guitars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the stand-up bass actually is uh, more played like jazz music. It's, yeah. It's not a flat bass, but, yeah, because all rockabilly music has usually like a slap bass, but, I mean, uh. I don't know. I can see how it sounds like that, but <laughs> honestly, <laughs> I, I sometimes fight that that uh, term because I was very surprised by it for a while. When we, Especially in France, we started playing there, and they were huge into calling us that, and I think, yeah, for me, I just wanted to keep exploring all types of music and... Uh, Especially, I think I kind of am drawn to music that is, has a rebellious side and has a high energy of music of like music that will make people dance. And um, yeah, I think also I kind of fell in love with garage rock. So that was really what happened between Dirty Radio and Untamed Beast is I sort of started listening to some more music and um, my guitar player taught me a lot about guitar and was sort of like, between the two records, I think I learned how to play guitar a lot better. And then would these, would you guys compose these as a group or would you bring, you know, pieces or kernels of something and then write them as a band or were you pretty much, you know, what was that process like? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I've always sort of worked on the songs and the lyrics by myself uh, before I bring it to a band. Um, and I think with the sound outside, it was a little more collaborative because, uh, it's pretty close with, uh, Jeff, especially I would sometimes write with him like that song danger. Um, we sort of wrote together cause I was playing him that idea and then he wrote that guitar lick, which pretty much makes that song. And, um, I think a lot of times there is like songs where I would show the song, like show it to the band before it was even finished. So I always felt like 
they were part of the process of writing. But yeah, I always say that I wrote like the lyrics and the chords and the melodies, and then they all wrote their own parts. So. Mm-hmm. so I I discovered you. I think um, oh, what was the the single off Untamed Beast? It was called um, Party Kids. No, or... the the. the the first, they told me? Yeah. So that was a KEXP Song of the Day podcast. Oh, cool, yeah. Yeah, and so that's how I found it. And so it had this really distinct sound, and I thought, oh, my, this is cool. And then when I was at the record store and I saw the album, I'm like, wow. Because <laughs> this is exactly <laughs> – it. Um, this is the kind of record you find in your uncle's collection when you're a kid, as like an LP, and it just seems so naughty. That you have to you have to figure out what this is all about. Did, did you come up with that art concept for the cover, or was that something that somebody else did for you guys? Well, um, actually, it was sort of an idea that was based off uh, my friend's work that was uh, that's also included in the album art, but it's um, like the insert, I guess you would call it, has the. Uh, a, wo- a woman with a skull head, but um, this is like an image that my friend Isaac Nichols, he uh, often has used and paints, and so we wanted to have something like that, like the idea of a woman who had a head for like a skull head. So yeah, we basically got hired a photographer to make a photographed version that we thought would be more powerful for like a a cover so yeah and I think like for me for me yeah it's just kind of raw and like represents like um you know not being ashamed of being just out out there and who you are nude and uh I think yeah it's not really necessarily like a sexy thing but just like a a badass kind of thing yeah (laughs) Where exposed and vulnerable, but but at the same time, like the beast, the, the image she's she has the beast by the horns. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> well, so yeah, you you sold me. It was. <laughs> it's like okay, I have to investigate this. But so that came out in 2012, and then in 2013, you guys played. Uh, summer concert in Boise and I went down and saw Sally Ford and The Sound Outside and I heard the songs off Untamed Beast and songs off Dirty Radio. But then later on that that same year, in 2013, you played your last show with The Sound Outside. Mm-hmm. And so was was that just a mutual desire to, you know, you had a really good run and it was time to to end it or everyone wanted something new what 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 happened with with the sound outside yeah i mean it was kind of both of those things i think like uh i mean it was really an exhausting year of touring and uh some of the band members weren't super into touring and um yeah i think also just like uh Maybe we just wanted to try playing with different people. Like uh, Jeff, the guitarist, he kind of does his own musical project. 
and then the drummer, he's always involved in doing different projects. And then the uh, bass player, he wanted to do stuff with motorcycles, and he's really big into, you know, he's now going out with his boat, his little boat on the river in Portland. And <laughs> yeah, everyone's just kind of having a good time in Portland and exploring other things. And for me, I had had this idea of wanting to play with like all female musicians. And um, yeah, I kind of put the word out there. And this happened back in like September before we even made the announcement. And we were just thinking of taking a break, the sound outside of me, but um, once I had sort of settled into playing with new people and I'd already written a handful of songs and it just kind of seemed like there wasn't a, a definite answer when we would be doing more. So I decided just to move forward, yeah, with new people. Well, so I went through that whole list because it was it was kind of... I was excited that you guys were going to play tree fort, but I had no idea, you know, that, that, that you were going to not only have an all new band, but you were going to have all new material too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure people are going to start to be a little confused, but, um, <laughs> I'm like so stoked. And now we're also, uh, starting to learn old material, but the new band had come together so quickly with the girls that, uh, we're only now starting to get to play like a few of the older songs, which that's been the original idea to like still play my old songs and make sure that they fit with like the new stuff. But we're going to be, uh, we already recorded an, a record and it, we already have like a planned rough planned time to put it out and stuff. Will the new band have a name? It's just called Sally Forge. Cause I think like, I mean, I never was that attached to the sound outside, honestly. I think it was just kind of something for me to feel like it was a group. And I do love playing with other people. But I think as far as, like, coming up with a new band name, it's just such a forced thing, and it's already my name. Like, I was going to come up with a and the something else for this new band, but... Um, you know what's funny is that even though y you... And this, so oftentimes there's two things that kind of happen at the same time that can be confused with one another, even though they might not be similar at all. And for the mm -hmm. longest time, I was having a hard time keeping Jesse Sykes and the Sweet Hereafter and the Sound Outside. I didn't know which band with, with which female lead. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, funny. so I thought, was it, is it Sally Ford and the Sweet Hereafter? Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I just figured that it was like, may as well just simplify. And um, I mean, I'm going to be able to come up with album names and, you know, I'm always going to be who I am. And it's just uh, who knows what I'll do musically in the future. But it is a comfort to me that I have my name and I can keep, keep doing whatever I want. And yeah. yeah, hopefully people hopefully people will follow me. I mean, I'm a little I nervous definitely think so. Time. So I I went to that your Tree Fort show and so I saw you and the new band and you guys were great, you know, and I thought, "Well, what you know, what a great band she's got." And you know, I was just kind of taking it in and thinking, "Okay, so uh your bass player super solid. Just business, right? The the whole rhythm section just solid, solid. But then the keyboard player mm -hmm. seemed 
a little bit spunky, like she might, like you guys could play off each other. Yeah. This is my impression. So it's like, okay, this is a this is a nice setup. And then I did a little research, and I had no idea that these guys are all rock stars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially the bass player. Did you figure out who she is? Yes, and we've seen her a number of times. Yeah. Yeah, she's awesome. I mean, uh, she's actually uh, Anita. Yeah, she originally played in Viva Voce, but she played um, guitar and sang in that band. Yeah. But, uh, so the idea that not only did I want to find female musicians, but I wanted to find a keyboardist and just be the only guitar player in the band. So Anita had come to me and said, Hey, I heard you're starting a girl band. I'd love to be involved. And I said, Well, what would you think about playing bass? And she was down, so like, I think, yeah, she's definitely proved herself. And she's, I think she makes like the glue to the band in a way. It's like, she's super solid and yeah. so solid, yeah. Just, yeah. she seemed and like this is what she does. But then also the drummer, I, I was familiar with Point Juncture Washington a little bit too. And I, I knew them. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, so that's, that's really fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the other girl she plays with, um, the guy from the Builders and the Butchers, and, uh, they have like a side project together called Albatross, and she does her own stuff. Yeah. So she's, she seemed like she has an interesting personality that definitely is is a stage presence. Like that's the impression I, I I'm there. Is, it's funny because Tree Ford is so much, and you guys were at the very beginning of it, like the first night, and so it just turns into this wash of like so much stuff, and it's hard to remember <laughs> what the heck mm-hmm. happened because there's four days of that was that you you guys had played tree fort before is that is that right or was that your first time yeah i played it before um with the other bands and yeah i mean i specified that i wanted to go back because i just liked the festival so much and i was thinking about just going to check it out so i was like why not go and play <laughs> yeah and then so did you have a, a good experience yeah, it was great. Yeah, I mean, uh, honestly, I was, like, planning to go see way more, and then I got there, and then uh, the first night, the night before we got there, we played in Pendleton, and then um, the next morning, we woke up early and drove to Boise, and then played at 1 a.m. at the festival. So by after that, I was pretty beat, and we stayed the whole weekend, and I really wanted to see so much, but I was, like, so exhausted. But I still got to see some really cool stuff, so. Yeah. Your show was definitely kind of like the gateway to madness for me, because I normally don't stay up that late, but I didn't want to miss it. So it's like, all right, I'm I'm just going to do it, because I have to do it. And so, yeah. Oh, cool. Thanks. <laughs> but then you were playing, you did a, a couple house shows. Is that right? Yeah. We did one house show and then we did, oh, the day, the same day that we played at 1 a.m., we played at the university. They had a couple shows for like the pre, pre-festival thing. And yeah, it was like freezing. We played outside. Yeah. But that was cool. I mean, it was um, 
seemed like a different setup, you know, than the, uh, there was a lot of people that came, uh, said they were not able to go to the, our show because it was 21 and over. So yeah, it's cool that we got to play like the all ages university stuff. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's a fun festival. And so hopefully you guys come back next year. And, and how many shows had you guys played by that time? So this is March. You guys are together since September the previous year. Yeah, I mean, our first show was, like, right before that. We played in Portland. I mean, unless you count, we played, like, a Lou Reed cover night tribute. <laughs> <laughs> um, and but just, like, a couple songs. And then uh, then our first show, we did this ladies' night with this other, uh, with this ladies' uh, podcast called Party Boys. They have, like, a show in Portland, play with some other women musician bands, and um, and after that, uh, we played another show in Portland, and then just a couple days ago, we opened for the Decemberists playing a benefit concert with them. Yeah, yeah. That was great. And, and the Decemberists played Cut Ups and Castaways, their 2002 album, and they did that two nights, and you guys played one of those nights? Yeah, yeah, and um, that was really cool, too, because Chris Funk, who plays guitar in The the Decemberist, and he's also in Black Prairie, he's um, my good friend, and he's the guy who is uh, producing our record, so he came on stage, actually, and jammed with us on the guitar, and yeah, so that was fun, and I'm friends with um, all the band members of Decemberist as well. Cool. Okay, so and then tell us about the new, the new music. So you've you've already said that you don't like Dirty Radio being called rockabilly, and then would what about <laughs> <laughs> people say Untamed Beast is has like a southern rock flavor? Would you agree with that? Sure, sure. I mean, I I think it's kind of like uh, I don't know, it's like rock and roll, but like more surf garage or something. Surfy garagey influenced. At yeah. least that's what I tried to make it. <laughs> I don't think it's quite that. I mean, it's just sort of like there's an authentic nostalgic flavor, just with the sounds that you guys make. That has it. It doesn't feel like you're like putting on a costume, but you're definitely touching something from from a a, a different time a little bit. And mixing it, yeah, yeah. Cool. But so with the new stuff, how, how, what, how do you feel about it? You know, what, what do you, what are you telling people? It sounds like. Well, um. And do you have any sense of what this new album's going to be called? Yeah, I do have an idea of what it's going to be called. I don't know if it's quite solid enough yet. If I want to announce it, for <laughs> some reason I change it. <laughs> It's not on the, you know, internet radio wave. Sure, that's all right. Um, But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think kind of the flavor is some surfy kind of flavor. Because also, actually, uh, with my last band, uh, with The Sound Outside, I put out one other thing right before we broke up, which was Summer EP. Yes. And that is like... I think it's pretty surfy and like pretty just 
raw sounding because we yes. recorded that in a, yeah in a few days and definitely like more um simple setup just like recorded on tape uh live and it's just got a nice flavor to it so um yeah i mean i think if I had made a new record with that band, it probably would have gone in a similar direction. But I think just with new people, like a lot of the things I had sort of anticipated for what the style was going to be, I was kind of thrown off because I think, yeah, we just explored different things. And especially with Chris Funk, he kind of pushed to have some different things like a more synth sound with a keyboard. I think he wanted to, yeah, like we did have some organ sounds to make it kind of have a surfy feel. Uh, But then also we just, he was like, why don't we put this song and have like some crazy synthesizer keyboards? And I was like, I don't know. And he's like, come on. And then like, of course, you know, he pushed that idea. And then the more and the more I just fell in love with it and, yeah, I'm really glad that he kind of got me out of my comfort zone and got me to explore different things with the music. But uh, like this record, I pretty much wrote like uh, by making little demos on my four track just with me and my guitar. And I would sort of record the basics and I did a lot of double vocal stuff. So it has kind of like a Ramones feel with the double vocals. Um and I think I also wanted to explore just anything from like 70s punk music. I've been listening to a lot of that band X. And, um, but I also wanted to have a sound sort of like Joan Jett or. Um, have you ever seen her perform? I haven't. <laughs> no, no. Uh, but what was I trying to say? Uh, yeah, like Joan Jett and, um, but all mixed with. Uh, kind of surf as well but yeah i guess the overall theme for me is it's just kind of babe rock girl babe rock and uh from different eras that sort of doesn't sound like it's jumping all over the place there's still like a fluidity to it and and this is all it's all recorded at this point yes and and is it it's just going through the channels now and we can expect it sometime in the nearest future? Yeah, I mean, I think we're probably going to put it out in, like, October is what it's looking like now. Um, Yeah, uh, we're sort of finishing up talking to a a new label. Um, So I think once we have that solidified with them that we're definitely working with this label, then we'll... Yeah, have a, an official date for the record release. But yeah, I think it's going to be in definitely in October because that's like the latest it would be out after that. You know, it's Thanksgiving and all that stuff and the music business pretty much shuts down unless you're like Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> and do you have the new Beyonce? I do. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> it is pretty good. I, uh, yeah, my friends are telling me about it, and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, there's a music video for every song. And I was like, no way. <laughs> and pretty much, like, I think I had been in a cabin with my friends. They told me about it. I watched a couple of music videos. I got home from the ca- cabin and bought the whole album on iTunes. Yeah. And, and then... I'm glad I did. It was worth <laughs> it. <laughs> 
it blows my mind that somehow she just made this all completely secret and then put it out right before Christmas and everyone in the world bought it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty yeah. awesome. What about your own artistic practice? Is is this um do you are you do you write music when when you're called or is it something that you do uh, more like it's it's something meditative that you have to do every single day and it's just part of your life? Um, I mean, I'd say it's more like I sort of set, uh, well, I mean, I definitely don't do it all the time. I mean, I kind of go out with my life and then um, collect information and then store it in my brain. And then make it all come out in bursts. And then I sort of hibernate for a while and collect more. And, um, I mean, I kind of like to have the music feel spontaneous and fun. And, like, uh, I don't like to sit there and, you know, think about ideas too long. Because I just get kind of overwhelmed or talk myself out of those ideas. So I've just had to learn, like, the way that works best for me to write is just uh, push through a song even if I have doubts about it and then share it. And then hopefully, yeah, people will have feedback and say, oh, yeah, this is great. And then you, why did you even doubt this? So they'll be like, oh, I don't know. I mean, I don't really think this one fits with the rest of the stuff. So, like, you have a good solid group here of these songs and maybe just edit some of this. So. Yeah, or sometimes I self-edit, but um, for the most part, I just like to write within, like, you know, a two-month period or maybe a few here and there when I'm more called to it. But I'm definitely not one of those people that sits down and, you know, plays for hours a day. And <laughs> Do you, you know, noodle around on your guitar regularly is it, um, or is it just something like the tool that you use to channel the things that you're processing well i mean i think it was more of a goal to learn how to play lead guitar for this new group since i'm the only guitarist so uh definitely before i wrote the record um even like i started to dabble with the last band i'd be like hey what can i do a solo here and, um, yeah, I think I also have just, Jeff, the last guitarist was a huge teacher of mine. So he would just sort of teach me tricks and I would say, how do I do a little solo trick like that? So I think I did a lot of noodling right before I wrote the record. At this point right now, I just practice with the band once a week. And then right now I'm just kind of trying to live a normal life for as long as I have that until I know that I'll be on tour, you know, playing music all the time. But it's nice to have a set practice every week. What is a normal life like, <laughs> especially in Portland, uh, Oregon? Um, uh, like riding my bike, um, watching some TV shows. I've been getting into a lot of uh, active things. I did never really do that on tour, and I think that's my new thing I'm into is doing dancing or like crazy boot camp classes 
where you're doing like push-ups and you feel really badass. <laughs> but I think like I used to have more like a badass mouth and a badass mind. And I, yeah, now I'm realizing like it feels cool to be strong and try to like lift weights and stuff like that. I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss. I was about to say a cuss word, but you, you can <laughs> certainly cuss. It's all right. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> But yeah, I think like just uh, testing my body has been a thing that I didn't ever do on tour. And uh, what's else? Another Portland thing. Uh, Hanging out with friends. And I got a cat. That's like such a domestic thing. So being very domestic. A nice, (laughs) quiet little Portland life with a badass, quiet, like Portland life. (laughs) And um, and I actually got a, a summer job. I'm going to be working at um, a smoothie shop that has bike blenders. Wow. Like these bicycles, bicycles, stationary bicycles with uh, blenders attached. It's called Moberry. It's really cool. <laughs> that sounds like a Portland thing there. <laughs> I know. <laughs> a business that could only, you know, be in Portland. But yeah. who knows? Maybe like Austin, Texas could have some. Yeah. <laughs> Do you like the show Portlandia or is it? Is it too close to home because you live there? I do like it. I mean... Did you like Slater Kenny when you were younger? I actually wasn't that familiar with it. Um, but, I mean, I kind of knew about Carrie Brownstein from NPR stuff. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I've heard some Slater Kenny since then. I was hearing about her and, uh yeah. And I got to meet Fred Armisen a couple weeks ago. We were on this, or like a couple months ago, I think. We were on the Livewire radio show in Portland and got got to meet him. Um, but yeah, I, lo- I really like Portlandia. I mean, I think it's more just about hipster culture, which Portland, of course, has a lot of. But there's other cities in the U.S. that have it. And I, and I guess, like, the alternative stuff, though, is more of a Portland thing. It's like Portland's like a weird mix of this hipster land, like Williamsburg, and then mixed with this kind of hippie alternative stuff, which I'm from Asheville, North Carolina, and we have plenty of that. So I think it's pretty funny. I really like it. But I know a lot of my friends are like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> One of the things you tend to sing about is finding connection in a world with technology and so oftentimes you invoke an earlier age that seems simpler because the gadgets aren't there like especially in a song like roll around from untamed beast Mm -hmm. where you're you know you're singing about trying to find an authentic connection and then it's interesting if you juxtapose that with a song like video games by lana del rey who's singing about how heaven is just to be with her, her boyfriend as he plays video games. Is Do you think technology is making it harder for us to connect? And then what does that look like in Portland? I'm wondering if, if people are getting closer to the land and getting rid of some of the, the virtual reality and just trying to find reality. Um, I mean, I don't know. I think... I, uh, like, there are some people in Portland that still like older things, like you know, film cameras and vinyl records are really popular here. But yeah, uh, iPhones are just as popular. And I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I just, 
I'm not that good about practicing it anymore, about making an effort to really do old-fashioned stuff. But I do feel connected to that, like letter writing. Especially when I was a kid, I had a lot of pen pals from all over the world. So that was like a big part of my childhood. My best friends weren't, you know, I was homeschooled. So my best friends weren't my classmates. They were my pen pals. And, um, I think I like travel too, because, you know, you get to see different cultures and, you know, yeah, there's other places in the world where there isn't as much technology. But I can see there's good things about technology and in a way, you know, I also support like, uh, minimalism. And so a lot of parts of technology are about minimizing like your belongings and not having as much stuff. So I'm kind of, I don't know. I don't know exactly what my beliefs about it all are. What do you think? <laughs> what do I think? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I mean, so uh, my whole community found each other via online, but then every, it seems like everything we do tries to bring us more, like, the authentic connection we find is most real when we get together in the same room. So that's why, you know, live music is so important is because you're all in that space and it, it's this this moment where, you know, you get to sweat and, and be in the, in the song all together and it's it's different mm-hmm. every single time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think there's good sides to both, like the past and the now. And, um, I mean, I think back then for a while when I first moved to Portland, I kind of miss that person I was because I have the, all these ideas about, oh, why, why don't I listen to records more and why do I sit and mess with my phone all day? I definitely try to make more of an effort not to do that stuff, but it's kind of addicting. That's what I hate about it. It's like the technology is so addicting. It needs to be like this, the new product and you just you can't help it. You just are drawn to it and want it. But... Um, Do you think we're going to figure it out, or are we going to blow ourselves up? Uh, I think we'll figure it out. I do. I mean, I think there'll probably be some blowing up, and then there'll be some people left behind that will figure it out, and it will hopefully make things better. And, uh, yeah. That was 42 Minutes. Thank you for sharing it with that us. That was 42 minutes. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just going to leave this. Uh... You've been listening to Sally Ford on SyncBook Radio, a production of SyncBook.com. More information about the work of Miss Sally Ford can be found at SallyFord.com. For more information about the SyncBook, our guests, check out past shows or to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, please be sure and visit our website at 42minutes.com. If you like the podcast, please support it by becoming a donor. You'll find the donation links under each episode on the website and consider setting up a monthly charge. Thanks so much, and go ahead and tell them that you heard me on the Dirty Radio.